Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Audrey Simons and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, and welcome to The Point Podcast with today's guest speaker, Mark Montgomery. Mark, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, It's great to have you here. I'm actually really excited about this discussion today because we get to talk about two of my favorite things, one, cybersecurity, and two, outer space. To kick off these discussions, Mark, do you want to give, you know, introduce yourself for our audience and give a bit of background on your career and kind of your work in cybersecurity space? Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, You know, so uh, not not your standard career to get here. I spent uh, 33 years in the United States Navy uh, commanding destroyers, uh, destroyer squadrons, carrier strike groups. And then um, I was the uh, eventually the J3 or head of operations for U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, all our joint forces in the Pacific. And there the cyber teams worked for me. Um, I came out of that, went and worked. I retired from the Navy, went immediately to work for Senator John McCain for two years uh, as his policy director. And um Near the end of that time, I had to become the cyber professional staff member just because of changes in, um, in staffing and everything. And so got pretty experienced in how the legislation of cyber. From there, after Senator McCain passed away, Senator King, who is a member of the Armed Services Committee, hired me along with Representative Mike Gallagher, who is the Republican uh, chairman. Uh, Senator King was a Democratic chairman of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. And I was executive director of that for three years. And what we did was study cybersecurity figure out what were the challenges to it and what was and came up with 80 plus recommendations on getting the legislature, but also the executive branch in a better position to secure our uh, national critical infrastructure in cyberspace. Um, That just wound down. Uh, Coming out of it, Senator King, Representative Gallagher and I set up a a nonprofit uh, called CSC 2.0. And we are we exist inside the Foundation for Defensive Democracies a uh, nonpartisan nonprofit um, think tank in D.C. Um, that takes no foreign money and no corporate money. So it was easy for us to put the nonprofit there. And, and so as a result, uh, we can continue to work these issues. And, and space particularly became one of Senator King's real concerns that, you know, we weren't uh, treating it like a critical infrastructure. So he had myself and Frank Salifo, another commissioner from the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, take a look at this issue. We studied it for about four months with some of the professionals on each of our staffs. Uh, he runs a think tank at Auburn University. And the two of us produced a product um, that kind of makes the argument for why space systems should be a national critical infrastructure and why we should do that now. And uh, you know, good timing. Many of our recommendations have been taken up and you see there's a, a, cybersecurity, a space cybersecurity act Yes. Uh, on the floor of the Senate. And I'm hoping and have been some of our things have already been adopted into last year's NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, as we were working it. We expect to see more in the next two years because, you know, we're, it was an epiphany for us to say it was a critical infrastructure. I think a lot of people held that opinion already. We just made some very specific arguments for how to set it up and where to set it up. So we're excited about this, uh, you know, as an area for where we can improve even through organizational changes, we can improve the, our cybersecurity um, posture in space. But Excellent. you know, don't be su- don't be surprised. It is a uh, it is a high threat environment. And, and and I agree with you in that. And I think 
one of the things about kind of developing solutions to go out into space, people are generally thinking that there aren't a lot of other people out there to cause issues in, in the environment, a bit like kind of people delivering the internet of things and kind of people go, oh, yeah, you can have all these really cool bits of equipment like Alexa and stuff like that that'll do things for you, but not thinking about the security side of it because they, they didn't think about why would anyone want to hack your Alexa. Um, so if we, if we focus down into kind of let's, let's throw a spotlight onto satellite cybersecurity because, you know, after all, they're, they're effectively purpose-built computers. And as such, they're as vulnerable to the same cyber security threats that we face on Earth. So if you could kind of shine a bit of light on that and kind of what what are the threats and that we're facing in space with these items and and kind of what are what can we do about it? What are we doing about it? Well, thanks. Yeah, and, you know, you're right. There's a lot in that. Um there's definitely I'd break it up in two different types of uh of threats. One, there is a physical threat. I'll talk about that in a moment. But second, there is a cyber non-kinetic threat. And that threat's interesting. Like if, if I were to go to, uh, you know, 50 hackers and say, try to take down this um, low Earth orbit satellite network, I think 49 out of 50 would start with the ground control stations. So when you ask what is, uh, you know, what's the threat? The threat is first and foremost, traditional hacking, traditional, which means, you know, phishing and, and exploiting human frailties uh, to gain access to the ground control network and therefore pass inappropriate or destabilizing orders up to the satellites themselves or ones that either disrupt, disable, or, uh, or destroy the satellite. Um, the, the, so that ground control station, typical normal hacking. And then in fact, if you think to, we'll talk a little bit about Russia and Ukraine, but that's where they had some success. The second part of that is, is attacks on the satellites themselves. Now here, this is a little harder. Okay. But it, it, it's, are you talking it's like like hammers, like people who go and bounce radio uh, no. waves <laughs> off planets? What are we talking about here? <laughs> I think here it'd be like again, it would be through what would appear to be normal discourse, a normal communication through the satellite, enabling you know the satellite was you know, was bought with almost all Leo satellites are based on commercial off the shelf te- technology that is exploitable. You can put the install the physical malware on the ground in, and when it gets up in space. Or you can determine there's an open source software flaw. Okay. And it's an interesting thing we'll talk about, I'm sure, is that, you know, updating, if you think patching is poor on ground, on terrestrial networks, patching on space networks is complicated by even if you want to do the right thing, it's sometimes hard to do the right thing. So um, a really interesting conundrum there. So two different ways to go at it. Either go at the ground control network, go at the satellite in space. And in both cases, you could exploit existing malware, you know, um, that was because it was procured commercial off the shelf. And believe me, with the pace at which we're putting these satellites up, there is no, there's no capability or capacity here for unique purpose-built uh, technology. Um, then the second, um, the second way, there is a physical attack capacity to this. And you can either, and in that regard, there's both anti-satellite weapons, both Russia and okay. China have tested these. Um, China more recently tested one that I think created about 2,000 pieces of space debris. It was quite the poor judgment by them. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they put quite a bit of debris in space. But the second one is, and we've certainly seen the Chinese begin to develop this, that is putting up 
attack satellites in space. And I know that sounds like a 1950s movie. <laughs> it does. But it's the idea. And you said hammer earlier. It, no kidding. I mean, it's like, you know, it could be a mechanical claw or physical, uh, you know, striking object or such. Or it could be a, um, a, lar- a radiation um, a, a radiation exposure that can okay. be created by one satellite passing in front of another. I mean, there's a, there's a number of ways. There's even a way to capture it and to knock it out of its orbit. Um, so there's a number of different uh, ways that we think the Chinese and others are beginning to develop anti-satellite technology based on other satellites in space. And in fact, recently, I think when, um, you know, kind of out of uh, a little bit of um, d- displeasure with how Starlink had helped the, the Ukrainians against yeah. Russia, um, China announced that they would, you know, they would consider a Chinese academic said it would be appropriate to launch 13,000 attack satellites to shadow the Starlink satellites okay. that were in theory going to go up over the next uh, <laughs> decade or two. And that would probably be the least efficient way, I think, to get a Starlink. I think I'd look at the yeah. ground control networks probably. But, you know, <laughs> in any case, you know, this is a I just given you both, you know, attacks on satellites, uh, you know, themselves or attacks on the ground stations cyber or kinetic um it's it's there it that there's a lot out there absolutely um, so that's how I, I look at it this is a, 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 a an apparent existing threat and it's growing and can i ask because a lot of reviewers may not actually consider the knock-on effect that if satellites get taken out or taken down for a period of time what could be the impact on businesses or infrastructure how things run on the ground so I think a better question to ask is what's not impacted? Okay. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, first of all, uh, position navigation timing satellites are just critical to everything. They're how our agricultural systems work. They're how, um, dot, you know, port systems, you'll get, they're how our highly automated equipment gets their timing signals and their location signals. So this really, as I mentioned, it impacts agriculture. There are a lot of tractors mm-hmm. out there that are operating off of PNT uh, satellites to run, you know, to run the map that the farmers set for them for that uh, for the field that day. The um, uh, there's p- the position navigation timing are critical to how our ports operate, how our rail systems operate, how our air transport systems operate. If you think in a port system, it tells the crane where it's at. Uh, it tells it where the uh, sea air land container they're supposed to pick up is at, it tells it where the place on the ship is at, and it all works in an automated system. If you were to remove that position, navigation, and timing, we'd be back to like 1930s stevedores and our ability to move shipping would drop, you know, volumetrically, you know, 70, 80, 90% uh, as you go all manual. So, I mean, really, you can think about a trade, you can think about the timing signals for trains, you can think about it in our air traffic control systems. Um, all elements of our of global and domestic trade are impacted by this. Uh, in addition, you know, there's monitoring of trucks, you know, how, you know, for the timing and sequencing of trucks as they come into um, distribution points and, and wholesale um, um, uh, warehouses, uh, you know, that's all based on a position navigation timing signal. Um, how you get uh, drive to uh, dinner tomorrow night is driven by that PNT signal, believe me. I have to admit, I've, I've kind of given up a lot and tried to learn the roads myself because I'm a bit old fashioned and I still have maps in my car. <laughs> I would put you in the 5% category <laughs> and the, the other 95% of us. And I say this as a Navy officer who's, you know, where we still do use paper charts on occasion in the Navy, you know, um, but 
broadly, we use electronic systems. Our weapon systems rely on this position navigation timing and other satellite things. How we target uh, our weapon systems is highly reliant on satellite systems. So our military national security is, is tied to this, our economic productivity and our public health and safety. These are all tied to this uh, system. It is, you know, we like to say, I think the common terminology is that energy is kind of like the infrastructure that drives all the other infrastructures. I'm certainly not going to take away from that. But I'm going to say, equally speaking, if you don't have space, you're going to revert to 1930s America really quickly uh, (laughs) with all that implies for economic productivity. So I would be, um, it, it would be pretty significant. So space systems to me is a critical infrastructure despite the fact that the U.S. government doesn't call it one. And, and that was one of our big recommendations. Yeah, but I'd, I'd say, considering what you've just said, it absolutely is part of our critical infrastructure. But the question is, how do you actually influence, or is this part of what has been put together in the Satellite Cybersecurity Act, how we actually influence end-to-end the supply chain that is what ends up creating satellites? How, how so do we our- actually end up, being able to control that. Yeah, so the um, our recommendations in there are that we first, you have to appoint a sector risk management agency. That is someone who, um, you know, who is responsible for organizing the government, for um, building the public-private partnership, for determining what are the right standards to use, not necessarily regulatory. I'm not arguing for that just yet. But although I will say space is one of the places where most industry says we need regulation. We can talk about that in a second. But setting that aside, you need a federal agency that's in charge. Without that, you get way too too much help if you're the private sector. You know, trying to organize things becomes much too too, um, disparate, whether it's you know, inside the Department of Commerce, there's uh, NOAA, which does some of the satellite um, certification and licensing. Um, you have NASA, you have the military, you have the Federal Communications uh, Commission, which is deeply involved in this. Um, you know, I'll cut to the chase and say we recommended that the sectorist management agency, that agency that is the forward facing piece with industry, is NASA. And I, uh, uh, inside, it's an independent federal agency. Okay. And, and our, our feeling with that was. Underneath it, you can have some subsectors that are about DOD and the very highly classified defense industrial base work. And then another one on t- communications where there's already a heavily regulated environment run by the Federal Communications Commission. Those would be subsectors under a broad sector run by NASA. And then NASA would be that forward-facing thing. In the absence of this, the uh, Trump administration created and, and the Biden administration has maintained a National Space Council. Okay. But this thing just doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the... Uh, what's, uh, you know, the ability to get things done of a federal agency because it's a standalone small group inside the White House. Almost everybody on it has a secondary or tertiary job, you know, has a primary job besides this. And there's a very small staff to support it, kind of executive secretary to support it. The reality is you need a federal agency running this and and leading this, um, you know, the management of the sector, building the, uh, determining where we need regulation, where we need incentivization, where we need collaboration. Uh, with the private sector and then working with our international partners because, you know, this is not one of those areas where the United States gets to make a determination of what's what. 
you know, the uh, you know, we have to work with international partners on this as well. So from my point of view, that kind of that is a missing element right now. And interestingly, the, the Biden administration is rewriting a document called PPD 21, which is how you do sector risk management agencies in the government. And uh, they're, they're overdue on it, but the, I think they'll get it done next spring. You know, one of my first recommendations on that is, you know, name space as a sector risk management agency, assign it to NASA. And if they were smart, they'd get a head start on it, just start doing it and make sure NASA's budgeting for it and, and get moving because we are, you know, we need to make hay while the sun shines right now. Okay. And, uh, you know, we need to, we need the government to be better organized. No, that a hundred percent. But question in terms of in order to actually get this legislation out there, you know, and view satellites as, as a critical infrastructure, like all branches of the government need to be involved. Does this actually bring it together is, or is it putting it all under NASA that then NASA brings everyone together? It's, it's, it's bringing that whole picture into one frame. So listen, this act is written really well. Um, and I could say that because I saw it while it was being written and I agree with it. But what it says right now is, hey, look, do a study of the threat. Get CISA responsible for it. CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, responsible for it. Um, and then it says at the bottom, look, if somebody gets designated SRMA, load it on their shoulders. And that's exactly the right thing to do. Um, that, that, that allows us to get this bill easier to get passed. People, um, the, the Congress may not want to determine who the SRMA is. And if you wrote in there, NASA do this, you're kind of determining it. By giving it to CISA, you're giving it to the, uh, you know, the catch-all uh, fielder, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, CISA. And then it says right in there, though, look, if the executive branch makes a determination, and this is inherently an executive branch responsibility to determine sector risk management agencies, it says that in law, in fact, then give it to that, as I said, hopefully NASA, you give it to NASA and they're off to the races. I'm a little worried. If you give it to the Department of Defense, DOD is fantastic at DOD stuff. Yeah. And they're fantastically unexcited about handling the non-DOD things. And FCC is way too small and focused on just the comps. So again, NASA would do it. So the way I think this act would go down is you pass the act, the PPD-21 designates NASA's SRMA, the responsibilities in the act fall on NASA, and they become the one that comes up with the plan for how you deal with the threat that's the front end of the act. The front end of the act says do a study of the threat. The back end of the act says tell me how you're going to fix it and address it. And so I think this is a perfect bill, a uh, piece of legislation. It's the what the ex- legislators should do, which is say, I see a problem that you're not tackling. I'm, go- I'm authorizing you to tackle it. And I'm telling you, get started with agency A just to get the ball rolling. So I, I'm, I'm excited that if, if that passes, and uh, I'd be really excited if it got added in the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, so it got passed soon. And uh, but we'll have to see what happens over the next two to three months. So, so is your expectation for this act will be able to both address the threat of satellites that are already in space and already kind of cruising around the Earth and helping us with all of our um, supply chains working and that kind of thing, but but also address supply chain of building new satellites. It gets right at that. It talks about current risk and it talks about potential risk. So I think it gets at both of them. Um, and certainly anyone doing a study would do both sides of this. I'm, I'm confident that that this act, look, this can be done without this act, but, you know, by just saying you're the SRMA, but the act kind of gives them the authority to kind of work better with other federal agencies to get this. In. NASA doesn't hold the answers to all the questions in the threat study. 
They, they, they hold a small percentage, 10% probably the answers. DOD has some, the intelligence community has some, Commerce Department has some, FCC has some, you know, NOAA has some, you know, so, you know, the answers spread throughout the federal agency. When you have that kind of issue, it's kind of good for the legislative branch to go do this, get it done by this date, and you're responsible. So project managing everyone. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. So um, in terms of kind of talking about space generally, um, the rules for ownership over space entities and territories seem to remain pretty unaddressed. So, you know, how do countries handle space ownership today, you know, and what kind of risk does that pose against, like, generally speaking, we have um, a level of entities of satellites and things that are up in space. How does this control that kind of interaction? Because as you said, China kind of going out and experimenting with prototypes to do attract, attack satellites. What are the rules around that? So, um, you know, right now the, the governing treaty, I think is called the Outer Space Treaty. Um, and it's at least, I think it's 55 years old, you know, six, okay. maybe more. Um, uh, it's old. Um, and it kind of, it, it, it has some basic truths up front, like it prohibits nuclear weapons in space. It limits the use of uh, the moon or, or, uh, or um, you know, planets for anything other than peaceful purposes. It says that space should be explorable by all, used by all. It, it prevents claiming sovereignty um, okay. on any outer space body. Um, it forbids like... Um, Bases, like military bases, and uh, I mean, this is 1967. Star Trek was was thick, right? You know, I mean, I think they thought we're probably going to be a little further along than we are now. But, uh, um, you know, it, it prevents the, in theory, the, prevent, the putting conventional weapons in space. Obviously, how people define that's changed a little bit. Um, and, and there's some very specific rules for... Um, you know, it had like some codicils on what you do if an astronaut, like a dead body comes back into Earth or if there's damage caused by a spacecraft that falls to Earth or a satellite or um, some very specific things to do with the moon um, proper, you know, uh, sovereignty on the moon. So there have been, you know, it's not, you know, it's not without, it, it has some thickness to it. So, but the question is to what degree it doesn't really address you know, um, some of the more interesting things that are going to happen over the next two or three decades, which is when we begin to be able to harvest uh, minerals and materials from space to bring back ownership of that. Um, we're going to have to. So when I say things like regulation, first mm. of all, space is one of these highly safety conscious things. Um, you know, in other words, you know, those small er errors of millimeters can lead to death. Right. Absolutely. And we know that. You know, we've had we've experienced that with several shuttles and, a, and an Apollo explosion and the Russians have experienced the same. Um, so the uh, at the time the Soviet Union experienced the same. Um, so regulation about how, how you put things in space, where they go, what kind of t uh, safety they have to have around them. I, I think industry is interested in that kind of regulation just so it doesn't turn into the Wild West. Um, you then have to make that internationally relevant. See if you can work that with your national partners. Um, you know, the control is as Leo goes up right now, we're at like maybe 4,000 Leo satellites. Oh, wow. I, you know, so we're at 4,000. Yeah, we're at 4,000 now. I'll bet we're at 50,000 in 2035. 
So a tenfold increase. That's a lot more space up there, a lot more opportunity for collisions, a lot more opportunity for space debris, a lot more opportunity for failed launches where something doesn't go exactly where you want and then begins to slightly warble out of control. Um, you know, so... You know, that's a lot, you know, the tracking of this, the, 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 there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's not being done because we and the Chinese, who are two of the largest purport, you know, uh, placers of, of these systems in there, are not, you know, uh, working well together in international organizations. Um, and then um, and then finally, you know, the, uh, uh, the use of weapons in space, you know, they've been used by several countries. And certainly the United States is beginning to think that, hey, if you're going to go ahead and do it and, and in an unacknowledged way, mm. then maybe we have to follow suit. Okay. You know, we're not going to, we're going to unilaterally disarm ourselves in a, in a domain because we're adhering to a, a treaty to which you don't feel obliged. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a serious issue. It, it applies more to China than to Russia, um, you know, because I, I think, uh, I think um, you know, the... Uh, um, for, for the Chinese, particularly, um, space is seen as a way of competing with the United States. So in any case, um, I think there's a, you know, the, there's treaties out there. Um, the questions, oh, let me give you one more regulatory thing. Yes. If yeah, I had regulatory, go, one more question on that too. So yeah. you go for it. <laughs> Sorry about this. Um, so, you know, you go, if you're going to, if you, let's say you're going to make a big investment in going to get minerals from you know, a meteorite or something. And, and this is a complex event, takes, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to execute, maybe more, but with incredible opportunity, you know, in the, in the bring back. Um, so you go up there and, you know, and you, you know, harvest that and you're bringing it back and you're going to do a water landing with it, you know, so you can recover it and then, you know, safely, you know, without any harm to people. And the, and a Chinese ship shows up and says, well, no, you know, we claim this space, you know, if you have not worked out a regulation about the rules of exploratory and resource extraction, um, you're going to have, it is going to create a lot of risk for the private sector doing this work. Oh, um, and, and so I think that we're going to need some sort of regulation, both about the safeties I talked about with launch and placement, and then the, uh, the extraction, um, you know, the, the future incredibly uh, high potential economic uh, windfall that that, uh, spa that the space economy offers us. Excellent. So in, in terms of, because we're, we're beginning to kind of run out of time, but in terms of your key thoughts, what are your biggest concerns that you hope to be addressed? And what are the most positive things that you see coming out of this? But the first thing is, is one, I'll beat the drum again, name us, put an agency in charge. The U.S. government does not do well when no one's in charge. We have a, we have a long track record of not no, doing well. No one does well when no one's in charge. We sometimes don't do well with someone in charge, but at least <laughs> I want to put someone in charge and I want it to be, and I think it should be NASA. Um, I think we need to, you know, get a clear, uh, we need to explain to the private sector with a clear kind of like value proposition is in, in space. We need to show that, look, if we can build security and resilience in our space system sector, you know, it's going to allow us to mitigate the kind of the unique cybersecurity challenges. And, uh, and I think it's going to give, it's going to allow for substantial investment, investment by the private sector and investment by the government in, in developing a healthy and robust space system sector. Look, I think that money is there. You know, people are pushing and it's coming. 
but it, it's it, the brakes will get applied if you start having you know Leo satellite collisions, right? If we oh, don't absolutely. get ourselves yeah. fully organized on this, understand who everybody's role is, begin to work with our international partners to at least in a, at least in a non confrontational area, a non warlike area, have a set of rules with the Chinese and others. And then maybe for the warlike ones, have a, a set of rules with our, our um, you know, our uh, like-minded partners. Um, you know, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So get ourselves organized, start working the rule sets, uh, fully integrate the private sector. Because, look, 40 years ago, this wasn't true. But today, if a, if a satellite's launched today, it is much more likely than not that the private sector put it up and not the government. The supply chain is going to be a private sector supply chain. Yeah, the final thing I'd say is is that getting a good, um, you know, domestically, you know, putting out good rules on cybersecurity, on what, on how to protect, you know, on the need to protect the, the, um, the uh, your supply chain pre-installation in the satellite. The need to have to have a a protected I don't want to say backdoor but access point to provide patching to the satellite, and then most of all, high levels of cybersecurity around your ground control networks. That's the first place I think the hacker is going to head. Uh, if you make it a a tough nut to crack, they'll move on to another target. Absolutely, and so so I think um, certainly if your act gets passed then we'll start talking about space and satellites as critical infrastructure, which I think is amazing, especially I don't think a lot of people know how much dependency just in our daily lives we have on satellites at all. Yeah, you know, there've been, last thing I say on that is there's been a couple studies that show, you know, measurable degradations in GDP within days, significant, you know, mega, you know, significant depression level uh, impacts if it were gone for months or a year. That's how significant the loss of space uh, to the current economy. Because we've we've gotten rid of the backup, right? You have a map in your car. Yeah, I do. Companies That's because I forgot to throw it out. <laughs> the analog, the analog equivalent's gone at, at these companies. You know, and I get it. You know, the 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 networking of all our systems, what's made has made us a affluent successful entrepreneurial com- company uh, country and it increases and increases and increases of course all that networking is also a vulnerability so if you don't provide the cybersecurity of that you'll be in trouble and all that networking is dependent on space so if you don't protect yourself in space i don't like to say it all comes crashing down but it definitely reverts to a, a significantly more laborious non-space based solution and, and in fact, I'll tell you, some of the non-space-based position navigation timing networks that we had in the 60s and 70s and 80s, because we assumed the Russians would do an EMP blast or something and get rid of everything, those systems are gone now. Those backups are gone. We decided not to keep investing in them. So we, so we, we un- uninstalled and, and sent them off to the scrap heap. <laughs> Correct. The system's called Loran, uh, which was a radio network that provided a timing signal, gone. So, you know, just... Over time, we have really, we've made ourselves dependent on space, both to our great advantage, but also to our, to great risk. Excellent. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you joining today. This has been great and fascinating. And, and admittedly, I'm a child of the seventies and I absolutely love sci-fi and Star Trek and all of that. So any excuse to talk about space and cybersecurity? (laughs) 
really enjoyed this. This is brilliant. Thank you very much. And hopefully people will be more concerned about space now and what's going on there and how we are looking after it. So well, thank, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And until next week, stay secure. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher.